Hello and welcome back, listener. You are listening to My Surrogacy Journey, the podcast season two. We're taking you on a journey of education and surrogacy storytelling. I'm Wes, I'm your host today, and you're in for a really incredible episode. I absolutely love being in the studio and it's such a pleasure to be speaking to our incredible experts today. Thank you for downloading us again. We have a fabulous sponsor for season two podcast who are the renowned fertility clinic established in 1989. Hearts and Essex Fertility Centre have an outstanding track record. They've created over 7,000 babies as a result of their care over the past 34 years. Hearts and Essex Fertility Centre is a leading surrogacy clinic and was awarded Surrogacy Fertility Clinic of the Year in 2018 and 2022. For this episode, I'll be talking to two talented people who are helping us understand and cope with the upset after a failed transfer. We'll be discussing how emotions can be managed, support for each other, and as well as the practical and clinical aspects of doing another cycle. So without further ado, let me introduce you to our guest today. We have Angela Pericles-Smith. Angela is the chair of the British Infertility Counselling Association, also known as BICA. She's a counselling representative for the British Fertility Society, BFS, and has specialised in fertility counselling with the NHS and private practice since 2014. Angela has written and spoken about emotional impact of infertility and co-authored Beaker Guidelines for Good Practice in Fertility Counselling. So you're in for a really good treat with Angela today. And with Debbie. Debbie has now retired from Hearts and Essex Fertility Centre and has joined my surrogacy journey as our new clinical and compliance director. Hello, both ladies. How are you both doing? We're good, thank you. Lovely to be here again. Good, thank you. Lovely to be here. Good, Angela, you look so nervous. Don't worry. Come on, <laughs> turn that frown upside down. It's really relaxed. I think you're in for a real treat today because we've got two experts with us, both national, I would class you both as national experts, you know, in terms of from a clinical point of view, but also from from an emotional point of view. So, I mean, these are some really key components of a surrogacy journey and it's really important that people consider them. And I'm not saying people underestimate a clinical perspective, Debbie, but I think people know they need a clinical element mostly in their journey. But I think one thing that is really underestimated, one of the things that people really don't consider or think they need is counselling or emotional support. Now, I sometimes, when I talk to people about counselling, you just see the heckle screw up and you see their posture change. And I think it's about people having this view that there's something wrong to need counselling or that there's something that needs fixing. And the way I try and position it and the way that we look at it within MSJ is about emotional support. It's not like there's anything wrong with you or you need it or you need a counsellor. It's about making you think about the emotional needs of a journey, understanding what support looks like, and then giving you mechanisms to help you recognise when you may need a little bit of emotional support. Angela, let's jump right into that. You know, how would you respond to that? And what's your view on that? I think historically, the word counselling has a stigma around it, doesn't it? For everybody, really. But I think as the landscape has changed over the years, and particularly since COVID, actually, I think more and more people are aware of their kind of emotional well-being, their mental health. I think when it comes to something like this, and you know you kind of say about counselling and that kind of reaction you get from people I think sometimes people are afraid to kind of really share what they're really thinking because we all we all have these thoughts don't we and you know negative thoughts that we perhaps wouldn't share with other people and I think that sometimes people think if they share those in counselling then they might be judged so there's that real vulnerability and fear about being careful about 
what to say or what not to say. And I guess one of the key things is really, from my perspective as a counsellor, is really building that relationship with people so that they do feel that rapport and they can, because otherwise, if they can't share their innermost thoughts about what they are genuinely feeling, how are they going to benefit? No, I totally agree. And I think if I look back on both of our journeys, and Michael and I acknowledge this really well, is that one of the biggest things we weren't prepared for that smacked us in the face and really knocked us off guard was our emotional support and how we hadn't talked about it, how we didn't recognise the impact it was going to have, how our thoughts manifested itself into behaviours and all of those things. And it just really could have been so much better if we were prepared for it, if we talked about it and if we had agreed a plan of how we were going to deal with it and be ready and able to get support when we needed it. And that for me was is the overriding thing of, of both of our journeys that had the biggest impact. And a lot of people that I speak to really early on, they just don't recognize the need for it. And, and I accept that because, you know, I'll say it again, you don't know what you don't know, but that's the reality. I really try to emphasize when I'm speaking to intended parents that this is a life-changing event that you're going to have in your life. It's going to have lifelong uh, impact and it's going to change the way you are. If you're in a relationship, you're no longer going to be a two, you're going to be a three or a four. That in itself is a massive shift of how your life is. And that is inevitably going to have practical impacts, but also emotional impacts. You know, you're, gonna, you're about to be a parent, you know. And for those who have been on a really challenging fertility journey, this may be a really long journey they've been on. And then they've had to deal with all of those emotions along that journey. And now it's changing where the reality is kicking in, where they actually might be about to be parents. And how do they deal with that? Yeah, definitely. And I think there's that real fear, isn't there, of kind of admitting that, you know, what are we doing we're changing our lives from two to three what are we actually doing do we really want this I think it's probably quite fair to say that most people you know whether they've had a fertility a surrogacy journey or naturally conceived I think most people have that kind of fear of oh goodness what are we doing with our lives and we're about to take that responsibility and I think when it comes to kind of surrogacy and for intended parents and surrogates if they're kind of trying to talk to their family and friends about it um, what I notice is a lot of the feelings kind of get brushed under the carpet you know or don't worry about it or just be positive or don't think like that so people really don't have that space to really be able to share what they're feeling without being closed down sure Sure. And we are going to get onto the bit that this podcast is titled, you know, in terms of failed transfers. But I think this is really relevant because it's about what you have to deal with to, to get to the point of getting into transfer and then what emotionally you're dealing with once you are ready for a transfer and then to deal with the results. So it, it is kind of all interlinked. And I don't know if we, we, Michael and I don't talk about it too much, but in between Tallulah and Duke, we did have a failed transfer and all of the emotion and everything that was attached with that. And that, that wasn't certainly because Tallulah had been a first time transfer. Failure was not something we'd prepared for. And I think a lot of people don't prepare for it. I think if you're a heterosexual couple being on a fertility journey, you're probably more used to a failed transfer than than most. And you already kind of going through the motions and preempting what that is going to be. But I think... I don't think you can really prepare for it because if you have been on a fertility journey, you're in a different aspect now because you're using surrogacy where the emotions potentially are different, the dependencies, the anticipation, the expectations might be different to the ones that you had in your in your own fertility journey. Yeah, I think there's so much investment, isn't there, in a fertility journey, a surrogacy journey, um, time that 
waiting and time and matching, um, emotional investment, financial investment. There's so much real investment. I'm sure, Debbie, you'll be able to kind of tell us more from a clinical point of view. But I think... (laughs) Not that people have this naivety, but there is, you're doing surrogacy because you hope and think and want it to work. And there's kind of this perception of, yeah, we'll do surrogacy and it'll work. And if it doesn't, then that kind of devastation is really profound That for for everybody, I think. And, you know, for, for couples that have been through their own fertility journey before surrogacy, it's kind of an additional lost and there's so much investment to get to a place where their acceptance of going through a surrogacy journey I don't think anything can prepare you and sometimes people come to me and they do say um you know I want to prepare for if it doesn't work I must say that does tend to be rarer because often there's kind of that hope it is going to work but it's almost in some ways you can't prepare for that true devastation until you're there you can be obviously a key thing is being aware that it could happen and thinking about how you might manage that and cope but until you're actually in that place and I liken the loss to um because it's that invisible loss as well isn't it particularly for people around you and your friends and family I liken it to a, a death of a person we don't suddenly have that intense grief and then the next day expect to be okay but the kind of invisible invisibility is around with surrogacy and I think it's fair to say that's for the intended parents as well as the surrogate that big element of shock that it hasn't worked the transfer hasn't been successful so let's take it back a little bit and let's talk about you know in preparation for a transfer if there's any ideal way to do it from both a clinical and an emotional point of view Deb let's talk to you about how you would encourage people to prepare for transfer because if they are a heterosexual couple being in a clinic for an embryo transfer might be quite triggering for them if they're a same-sex couple they might not necessarily understand what their role is or how involved they can be let's just let's just pick that bit up because I think it's a really important part about not just about dealing with it if it has been a failed transfer but how you could potentially prepare better uh, going into a transfer communication is key you really do have to speak to the people that are looking after you so that's your clinic your clinicians your nurses your counsellors the embryologist make sure you're asking the questions and sometimes you might not know the questions to ask but don't be afraid to speak up and say I don't really understand that what's going to happen Um, there's two perspectives there so we need to prepare our surrogate for the actual clinical physical bit that needs to happen Um, she's taking medication she needs to know that she needs to be at the clinic for certain scan appointments and then preparation for that transfer time the surrogate generally will have had pregnancies successful in the past so she's full of hope that she's going to help this intended couple whether they're heterosexuals or same sex They are full of hope and you can't knock that out of them. You need to make sure that that you're being transparent, that you're being safe with them, that they have all of the correct information so that they know and can expect what's going to happen at each available appointment. Um, When it comes to the intended parents, you've both hit it um, quite nicely. Um, Our heterosexual couples will have had quite a struggle of a journey unless they've known from the outset that they do need to have a sur- or go down a surrogacy pathway. But generally, they've been on a rocky road of fertility. And so managing their expectations is really key because we do know in the fertility world, 50% of 
transfers fail. And that's that's the key. And we don't want to start off with that, but we do need to be fair to let them understand that it can fail. And they will come with this massive hope. This is the end of their journey, but this surrogate is going to get them pregnant. Yeah. And, and, I think, and we have to prepare for that. And I think that's a really good start there, Deb, to put it into perspective. And I think a lot of people just assume that uh, you know, it's going to be, it's going to work first time. I mean, there, there is a higher than average uh, rate for first time success. I think if you're using, potentially using donor eggs, healthy sperm, you know, you've got all the recipe for success there, but that doesn't automatically assume that you're going to get that success. And I think when you just highlighted, you know, 50% won't be successful. I think that really does help people put this into perspective. It does. And, and obviously, as clinicians, we'll never sit there and say to our patients, 50% are going to fail. That's not how we're going to operate. We always will lean to the glass half full rather than the glass half empty. But with the same sex couples, when they come in, they are full of hope. They, they don't see that they've got a fertility issue. This is going to work. They have no expectations. And sometimes it's harder to manage the same sex guys that come through our clinics um, because of that hope that they then there's no way they're going to fail why should yeah, they fail yeah. they, and often they haven't know? been through an unsuccessful IVF yep. journey have and they, they have to get no them there idea. so they yeah. have a very different perspective about IVF and often it's the first time they've been exposed to IVF and you know the the assumptions around it I really think that it would be really helpful for people to understand that to go into this with a view that yes we may be successful but we also may not be successful and I think if you have both sides of the coin in equal measures you you would be better prepared because I always think you've always thinking up I mean we certainly did thinking that we were, were going to be pregnant and that it was going to be successful and I think when you're not it really knocks you but I think if you if your expectations are managed beforehand better I think it will allow you and your surrogate to hopefully navigate through what is sad news that you haven't been successful if that's the case. And it's how do you get that? Angela, is there anything that you would kind of suggest in terms of how you would approach that pre-transfer and the communication between the team to manage expectation better? Yeah, it was interesting listening to Debbie on the clinical point of view of, you know, how that's conveyed to patients, if you like, because in some ways that kind of managing their expectations for me is a big part of the counselling how do we manage their expectations so that if things do go wrong and I always say it's not about going into it all positive but equally it's not about going into it all negative it's about being balanced and you know I'm forever saying this the old-fashioned scales with the weights that you put for every thought you have so that exciting thought that this is going to work what do you need to put on the other side of those scales to balance that? Focus on what you do know rather than what you don't know. And that can be really helpful just in terms of getting that balance again between walking into it all excited and this is going to work. But equally, we don't want people walking into it you know, all negative. If, if you were all one side or all the other, you, you, you're potentially asking for trouble. So I think it is about having... But enough weight on both sides so that you do approach it with a balance. You know, with my surrogate journey, we're all about balance. I mean, it's one of our kind of guiding principles is about balance. And I think that really sums it up well. It is about having that really balanced approach to, like Debbie said, this could go either way. You could put enough on both sides and it could easily swing one way or the other. There's 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 nothing that's going to tell you otherwise. And I think it's been about being prepared for either side. Yeah, I think people do know that, you know, the potential that this might not work but it's 
there's kind of being prepared for that, but it's still not going to take away the emotions. And I think in some ways that's what you need to be prepared for, that even though logically, rationally, you're aware that it might not work or there's only a 50% um, chance. But I think sometimes the shock comes that people weren't prepared for how they were going to feel about that because rationally they knew that was a possibility yeah and 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 i also think sometimes and maybe correct me if i'm wrong angela is that sometimes you can't prepare for everything and you can't prepare if this is the first time that you've had this type of news you don't know how you're going to react to it you don't know how potentially your partner's going to react to it you know you can't literally prepare for everything but i think it is about putting as much in place so that you are as mentally prepared as possible then you have the mechanism or the support network that when you do get the news you weren't expecting you have someone that you can help you manage that piece that you weren't expecting if that makes sense yeah Absolutely, yeah. Again, from like counselling point of view, kind of really challenging their thinking. I think sometimes when we think of challenging people's thinking, we think of it being confrontational. And sometimes with family and friends, like I was saying, that sometimes they get, you know, brushed under the carpet. But in counselling, you can kind of really explore, challenge their thinking in a... Encourage their thinking. Encourage their thinking, explore that thinking and how about this and how might this be and how might that be not knowing how that will definitely be until they're in that position but kind of being prepared yeah I mean I really like the way challenge actually because I I often have chats with intended parents and they're at the start of the journey and they just don't know what's ahead of them and sometimes they just have this approach where they think everything's going to be fine or they don't like being challenged because they assume that they don't need this emotional support and I'm really happy to challenge people and push back with people because I think you have no way of knowing what's ahead of you. I'm not saying we know everything that's ahead of you, but we've been through it and we know some of the real sticking points that we think are going to really take people off guard emotionally. And I think if you are, if you don't have that mindset where you're prepared to listen to how people think and and how and, and the advice people give you about what the journey entails, then I think you should be challenged. And I think it's our job as an organisation to challenge you and to get you ready. Because if you just think everything's hunky-dory and you don't want to listen to anyone else, you, you're quite likely to come into a bump in the road that's going to kind of knock you off guard. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sticking with the three C's now today. Challenge doesn't mean confrontational, yeah. but also... Healthy challenge. A healthy challenge, but as Debbie mentioned as well, communication. Communication is key and whether that's with your partner, with your intended parents, your surrogate, or with the counsellor. We've got four C's now. No, I, I, I totally agree. And I think when we started My Surrogacy Journey, putting this emotional support element into it was really, really important to us. And it's one that we've really pushed for all the way through as, as, as a member benefit, but also really challenge people for, because I do get, I do get people regularly telling me they don't need counselling. Oh, we've had, we've had implications counselling at the clinic. We don't need anything else. I'm like, okay, well let's, let's unwrap that a little bit and let's, let's talk about it. But it is really, really important to us. And, and one thing that is massively underestimated. So we've, we've kind of talked about the preparation pre embryo transfer in a way that I could do that. I want to just quickly pick up on from a surrogate piece, because I know from our own experience, Surrogates are expecting it to work as well. They've got proven fertility. You know, if I, if I think back to some of our surrogates who haven't been successful with first or second, 
they were they weren't not expecting it to happen. And I think one of the things that happened with our surrogate is that it really knocked her confidence. It really took her off guard. She wasn't expecting it to fail every time before she'd got pregnant like that. And on this occasion, she didn't. So she really took it personally that it was her who had failed and it was well, she was letting us down and i think those are some of the conversations that you could potentially help have with your surrogate pre you know it's this isn't this is no one's fault this isn't this this, this is in the hands of of science and you know we can't impact it everyone's doing their bit and if one and if it doesn't work it's no one's fault mm-hmm. that is definitely something i would want to explore with um a surrogate and the intended parents you know if this doesn't work what might that be like and what might that be like for the relationship because often the surrogate does have this um sense of failure particularly if well I was going to say particularly if it's a friend but in my experience surrogate and intended parents do become very close um that kind of real sense of um guilt that they've let them down they've done something wrong they're to blame it's really profound for the surrogate as well and and again what what I think can we can easily do from kind of a clinical point of view is kind of focus on the failed transfer and for the from the intended parents point of view but actually it's profound for the surrogate as well and there's lots of emotions and like you say particularly if they have had pregnancies multiple pregnancies with no issues you know they think they're going to come into this and have another pregnancy and when that doesn't work and also they know how much it means to the intended parents of course yeah they're so invested in the journey and and they feel as if it's them that it's the surrogate that's let them down and 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 i also sometimes feel that you know in this scenario of a failed transfer the surrogate is not only having to deal with her own emotions but she's then having to deal with the emotions of the intended parents as well and i think in some cases that's quite difficult for a surrogate to deal with and and i think we have to acknowledge that is that you know they're also dealing with their own as the intended parents are, but often the surrogates feel like they've let the, the intended parents down. It's them that's be responsible for this scenario that they're now in. Yeah. And again, that's kind of something to explore and raise with them. You know, if it, how might that be? Would you need some space from one another? What would it be like if you had space with no contact for a week or would you want contact straight away? And, and again, that excitement and hope of, oh, we'll be fine. We know that it might not work and there's two embryos or three embryos and I think that's a really key bit and that's one thing I would really encourage people to do is before an embryo transfer talk about what what if it's successful amazing what what happens there and and it's not less of a conversation but it's there's not as much emotion negative emotion involved in it but also have a really clear conversation about well what if it isn't successful and how are we as a team going to deal with that how would you what would what do you think you would want as a surrogate and what, what does the intended parents want and how do you communicate that and what does that look like? Everything you've just said, Angela, but I think not enough emphasis is put on if it fails, then you potentially have a gap in communication or, you know, I think I think there needs to be equal emphasis put on pre-embryo transfer to the reaction or the responsive. Well, if it's positive, it's this. If it's negative, it's this. And again, I think it's about having that balance that you talked about earlier on. From a clinic perspective as well, it's we, we always make sure that, you know, there is clear guidance on what do they do when they get that result? Who do they tell first? Does the surrogate ring the IPs? Yeah. Does the surrogate ring the clinic? So we always encourage from a clinic perspective that the surrogate rings the clinic. 
because she will need that first hand support with that negative result. Number one, from a practical clinical point of view, what does she need to do with the medication, etc.? But then give her the support to give that news to her intended parents. But even even when they've got the best relationship, that's really difficult to put that ownership on that surrogate. It is totally. And so, and it, so we, you know, they should be getting the support from their clinics to deliver that news in the best way that they can. It's not hard. It's not easy to deliver no, whichever and, way. And you know what? There's no perfect scenario. This this doesn't exist, does it? About you know prepping before an embryo transfer, the embryo transfer happening, then waiting for the results. It, it there's no perfect scenario. But I think if one thing came out of this podcast, it was that people like t- took a more objective view of both sides of the coin and discussed the possibilities of both sides of the coin pre-embryo transfer and all the way through, I think they'd be better equipped that if they did get positive news and hopefully they didn't, but if they did, they would be better versed and they would know what the plan was. And I think that's what it's about. Let's know what the plan is, whether it's positive or negative. And I think you should always plan for both. And and even when you, you give that information at the beginning, when you get that result and that surrogate is panicking, thinking, okay, how do I give them this news? Ring the clinic first, get the information from the clinic. Then you're a bit more armed to then go to your intended parents and say, I have let the clinic know this is what I have to do now from a clinical, practical point of view. They can they can focus on that bit with the surrogate also. And then the surrogate can deliver the news, etc. And then the, then the intended parents can be followed up by the clinic also, must be, um, to support them in a different way. Sometimes they all want to come together. Sometimes, like Angela alluded to earlier, they just need that little bit of separation to deal with their own emotions before they can come back together, regroup, say, okay, we've taken a breath, this is where we go next, and this is what the clinic has advised. So you've got the information, you can make then informed decisions about your next steps. Totally. And also when you're dealing with a set of intended parents or a team, surrogate and IPs, who have really low embryo numbers they might only have two and one is a really devastating blow you know that puts more and more pressure on everyone doesn't it you know it's it's great if you've got a really good number of embryos but a lot of people don't and I think that adds a different dynamic to both the physical and the emotional element there's so much riding on this transfer you know we have intended parents who have one embryo we have intended parents who just have two you know it's it's a it's, it's a lot of pressure and we often hear for surrogates that working with intended parents who have a, re- a low number of embryos is is a, is a lot more pressure than it would be working with intended parents who have more did what do you see that debbie in in clinics yeah so obviously when when you're working with such low numbers that as can often be the case there is so much riding on it and mm-hmm. the expectations for commitment to that cycle and to make you know that outcome positive is a tougher one because there is so much more riding on it you manage those expectations to say and I don't harp on about 50% but it's it is making sure that that we help them navigate their way through that and so that they have some understanding that there's a lot riding on that one embryo yeah. it's, it's got to go through so many processes it's got to survive the thaw they might even not even get to the embryo transfer bit. Mm-hmm. And you try and manage that with them by discussing each step and what needs to happen at each step so that they can manage their thoughts, their processes and the clinical perspectives at each at each part. And so how do you feel that, that impacts from an emotional point of view? Obviously, it puts more pressure on everyone, doesn't it, in terms of for it to be successful? What does that, how would you uh, suggest people kind of manage that? 
Again, that's that kind of huge investment that I was kind of talking about. When there is one or two embryos, the intensity of this and the investment of this working, it's massive for people. In terms of people managing that, in some ways, again, that is about exploring beforehand. You know, if this doesn't work, what might that be like? What next for you? If anything, you know, what what is that really going to be like um, in your life? And I think this kind of feeds back into why it is really important to hypothetically go through that scenario with people and how how they will manage that, how they will manage their emotions, whether they will want that contact, because they need some time and space as well to kind of come to terms with that. And some people will want to be around their surrogates and some people won't. And again, those kind of intricacies about, you know, who delivers the news. Again, that's kind of something to broach with people because they're not aware of these intricacies that they will get a telephone call or they'll come into clinic and should they all be there or one be there and who's going to be around? I'm, I guess I'm thinking as well of single people going yeah. through this. Yeah. You know, who's going to be around for him with the negative news and have they kind of considered you know, if it's negative, how do you want that being relayed to you? Do you want a telephone call? Do you want that in person? Will you? Yeah. Have because a- I think it's such a personal thing, isn't it? And it's about, you know, we always, when we are giving results, potentially about being matched and stuff, we always ask people, do you want a phone call? Do you want it in a WhatsApp message? Do you want it in an email? Because I think people like to receive information differently and not everyone wants it in the same way. I personally think that if I give you some information in a, in a WhatsApp message or in a, in a text, you are going to process it in a different way than me giving you it in person. And this is not just about the person receiving it, it's about the person giving it as well. It's about making sure that we can give everyone what they need so that they're receiving information in a way that is right for them. It's it's always really easy to give good news. A surrogate will always, when you give her the choice, she will always want to be that one that rings her IPs and says we're pregnant. But when you ha- when she has to deliver the bad news, invariably she'll ask for support or ask and, for and the that, clinic that, to deliver and, it. And that's okay, right? And that is absolutely okay. And I think that's because you know one of the things that surrogates get out of being a surrogate is is this. You know this piece of being able to give that good news and the, 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 the what they get back from from those intended parents when giving such good news or you know when the baby's born and seeing the, the that first handover of the, what you know they've just delivered a baby and it's given straight to their piece and they see that what what they've done the impact it has on those those intended parents and I think that is a really fair uh, way, way to deal with it but I I I get it you know I mean. You know, you, Debbie, and potentially Angela, not used to giving bad news, but you, you're trained in a way to deliver it and understand the impact of it. Not everyone on this journey is, you know, and it's about you've got a professional resource around you with my surrogacy journey, and it's about utilising that to, one, get the support you need, but two, manage the situations in the, the most productive way possible, if that's such a thing. So... Let's let's look at moving forward and like so we've had a failed transfer. How how do you move on from that and how do you approach it once you've kind of 
picked yourself up a little bit and and kind of had the support to help you start managing the emotions associated with it. How would you then start moving forward? You know, from a clinical point of view, Debbie, what would that look like? So it depends on where you're at on the journey. Have you have you got embryos left? Mm-hmm. So that's that's quite an easy fix because you can think about okay, when everybody's regrouped and we've had enough support, enough counselling and we're ready to think about starting a journey again. And and the clinicians will need to be reassured that you are all in the right space. You know, we can't have just the surrogate pushing to say, yes, we want to go again and the IPs are just not ready because they're now scared of another failure. You need to make sure everyone's on the right on the right foot. So having embryos in storage is an easy fix because you just need to then plan from a clinical practical point of view when it is safe to start again. And that's generally we want the the surrogate to have when we talk about the the failed cycle, she needs to have that withdrawal bleed and we want her to have another clear cycle. That's generally. So within six weeks, you could potentially be starting again if that's appropriate for you. If on the other hand, you don't have embryos and you need to think about, okay, what's the next step? So if it's a heterosexual couple and they've used up their last embryos and they're no longer able to create their own gametes and create their own embryos using their gametes, then they might need to think about donation. And that's another different consultation. And is the surrogate ready to sit and wait for that to happen? Um, There needs to be conversations around all of that. Or is the surrogate keen to move on? And potentially that might be another set of intended parents. That's what MSJ will support and help with with all of that. And so then thinking about donation and, and creating new embryos. You need to prepare all of the surrogate and the intended parents in readiness for whichever pathway they need to choose. Sometimes the intended parents will say, that's it, we're done. We just can't do this anymore. And that's particularly with heterosexual because they've been on a rocky road. They've invested everything they possibly can. They've got no more embryos left. And that's the time. But again, MSJ will pick you up and make sure that you're not just left in the you know, outer regions. You're going to be supported and, and help you make those decisions of moving on and that's that is tough you know the surrogates desperately want to help you but sometimes there's there's an end of that road that we need to support you on and it's about moving on to the next phase whatever that is for you and making sure that you are supporting that next phase if that next phase is accepting that you aren't going to have a family and you're going to kind of get on with your lives in whichever way you can or you're going to then move down Creating Adoption more embryos. or fostering or and, and whatever. And I think for some, for some people, you know, that last embryo that wasn't successful, that might be their last opportunity for genetic link. And for some people, that's really important. And you've got to mourn the loss of that as well. And you've got to come to terms with it. They might not be ready to talk about donor yet, but it's about about when they're ready. And, and Angela, from a, an emotional point of view, what do you think is you, the best advice for people who have had a failed transfer and, and they're then ready or when are they ready to move forward and what what does that look like? Yeah, I think it varies for everybody as to when they're ready to move forward. I think one of the key things is actually going back to the clinic and having the opportunity to have a discussion as to what has just happened. And sometimes people put that off. Sometimes people want to do that straight away. It kind of helps to bring a finality around that cycle, regardless of what they're going to do next, whether they're going to have another cycle of treatment or whether they've got no more embryos and that's finished and it's kind of really exploring what the other options are for them Mm -hmm. I'm just also aware it might be that after one it might be a different surrogate the surrogate might not feel she's able to do that again or the intended parents or parents might choose 
to have a different so again again that's kind of coming back to you don't know what you don't know do you until you've actually been through it and done it and some people do continue but there's kind of that real opportunity to have that space to really explore how it feels now what that future looks like how do they process that loss and grief and what are their other options going forward which might be more surrogacy might be adoption it might be fostering it might be childlessness or it might be their family is already complete whichever of those it may be they're all different to the life they thought they were going to have and they've already psychologically imagined but physically that's not happening so I guess it's you know that kind of real exploration and restructuring of that life um, and giving them the time and space and again that kind of gentle exploration challenging their thinking and again when is enough enough yeah that's a that's a really tough question for a lot of people a lot of the hetero couples that I speak to are single people say they wish they'd have made that decision sooner. They wish they'd have stopped IVF and focused on something else sooner. So I think they're more aware of that particular piece. That That is a really important aspect of the mm. clinical role um, because it's very easy to help people get on that fertility road, but it's much more difficult to help them get off. But it, it is also our responsibility as clinicians to support that. And I really don't think we should under, underestimate the the need, the desire and what that feels like to be a parent for some people and how strong and how constant that need is and how people can't shake it off. I hear it all of the time and as a parent myself, I can absolutely understand it. Uh, and I think it's more prevalent and much harder to deal with when you don't have children at all. Always. And, and it's how do you navigate through that when there's such a desire to to be a parent? I think it's it can all sometimes be consuming. It can overtake your life and it, be, can, it can be the only sound you hear because you're so, I don't want to say the word desperate because I don't, I don't mean it in that way, but you are, you just, it's, it's, it consumes you and it's everything you want. You'll give everything to it. Yeah. Emotionally, financially, you know, the relationship breakdowns, every, everything will be invested mm in that pursuance of of having a child having a family and none of us that work in this industry ever will underestimate that because essentially that's why we're all here to support family making and when it doesn't work it it affects us as much as it does those couples that are that are embarking on their parenthood journey and i think as an organization i know i can say this hand on heart every member of our team is totally invested in everyone's journey we we live that journey with them we sit we're with the highs we're with the lows we're not we're not robots we don't you know, we, we have emotions and when people fail, we feel it too. And when we, and again, when people succeed, it's just as overjoying for us to see it as, 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 as it is for them. So it's, it is a, I sometimes feel like it's a bit of a curse for us because we're so invested in it and we, we, you know, we, we live and breathe this, but it's tough dealing with the, with the, when you can't make something better for someone or you can't create a solution for someone it's really tough from from our team point of view to to kind of navigate through that as well the smiles and the tears yeah always a quick question angela so if you're in a relationship and you have a partner going through this how do you how do you manage each other's side of it because i think (laughs) often you know 
you just assume that as as a one, you're a couple and that there's emotional needs and that they're just going to be dealt with as one. Well, we're all different people. And I know just from my own personal relationship that Michael deals with things very differently to how I do. Mm-hmm. Just throwing that into the mix, how how would you approach that in terms of making sure that you're looking out for each other as well and not just trying to deal with this as one journey and one uh, emotional support that you both have to kind of get into? Yeah, it's a really, really good question because you're absolutely right that kind of here you are as a couple, so you must be the same. But actually, it's very different from for each of you, regardless of, you know, if it's a hetero couple, a same sex couple, male and a female, two males, each party is going to have a different experience and be impacted and have different thoughts and, and feelings. And it and again, that kind of real communication and that exploration of possibilities and the two people in a couple often have different coping strategies. And what are those coping strategies? Have you talked about your coping strategies? What do you need from one another? Kind of that real exploration of what is this kind of going to be like? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? How might you manage? What if one of you wants to talk about it? What if one of you doesn't? And what if you don't see the signs that, because I know just from our, and Michael probably killed me for saying this, but sometimes I really want to talk, but I don't want to talk, but I really want someone to ask me. And so then I can just have a vehicle of, of talking. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I don't, I don't say, oh, shall we talk about it? Because that's not how I'm built. Do you yeah, know what I've I mean? I've got a clear memory of a couple that I'd, nurtured through I can't remember how many seven or eight failed cycles and I was about to deliver yet again another negative result and the guy said they're a heterosexual couple um, they left the clinic went home and I just had this feeling about the guy and I rang him separately on his own and um, he said to me how did you know and I said just the feeling in that room and he said can I come in and talk to you and he, we gave him the space for him to come back into the clinic on his own. Um, and wow, what a session we had with him. Um, there was two of us ended up coming in because he asked to speak to another member of staff. And he was then able to pick himself up and say, OK, right, now I know how I'm going to support her because he was at a, such a severe loss. And it's not that we forget the partners in the room. We very much do. Um, but sometimes you're so focused on the person that's that's had the failure yeah. that you that you you forget that partner that's suffering so much. Yeah. Or you might be that one who's always emotionally strong and deals and helps support your partner because they need it more. But then it's like who's supporting you? Yeah. And the, everyone has limits, right? You all have limits about yeah. how much you can take. And 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 you know these journeys do sometimes push you to the limits. Yeah, and, and with the same-sex couple, see, I've got all these different scenarios. We'd used up the last embryo for one of the male partners. Um, he'd had two. And his husband said to him, but it's okay, we've got mine to use. And he totally disregarded his feelings that, well, that was my last chance yeah, yeah, of yeah, yeah. a genetic link to, to a child. Yeah. And as much as they were going to come together, and they did, they ended up, they did have a child... But he, you know, he he was trying to be supportive and say, but it's okay, we've got, we got these. But he just yeah. didn't get... He, he hadn't anticipated the impact yeah. that would have had. And Touching on what Angela said, you know, helping them prepare about if this scenario happens, how are we going to support you dealing with it? It's, it's a tough one always, whereas when you're sitting in front of a couple, as we all know, we don't want to be completely negative, but we have to, we have to prepare our couples so that they can be better informed when they hear that news okay 
I've got to take a breath. I've got to grieve. I've got to do this. But I know how I'm going to move forward because I've got the tools and I've got the support around me to help me do that. Amazing. Last words from the both of you then. So, Angela, what would be your takeaway from today and your key? If, if, if the listener just took away one thing from today, what would it be? For me, no thoughts or feelings are abnormal. They're all very normal. There's no such thing as a silly thought. And what is really important is please do engage in that support that's available and on offer for you. But importantly, and from this latter part of the conversation, not necessarily as a couple, but by yourself too, that you can access that support to be able to, you know, it might be exploring more about yourself. If you're aware of what your own thinking patterns and behaviours are um, and what your needs are, to be able to communicate that better um, within the relationship because this, you know, going through the surrogacy process is a really complex thing. It's a lifelong decision and has lifelong implications. Mm. Thank you, Debbie, for you. I strongly feel communication between all parties involved. I think if you keep talking to each other, explore how you're feeling. Don't be afraid to speak up and say, actually, you know, you're a surrogate. Actually, I'm not ready to go through another cycle. Be honest with your intended parents. And if the intended parents are thinking, actually, we're not ready to do this again, but the surrogate's pushing because she, she wants to get on and do the cycle, just be open and transparent and communicate. Just be fair to each other. And you'll find your way through whatever that path, wherever that path will take you. Just communicate. Amazing. Thank you both. It was really interesting. And I think for me, the biggest takeaway would be around preparing for failure at the beginning as well and not just preparing for success. It is about having that in equal measures and and having that communication and talking about if this happens, what do we do? If this happens, what do we do? And having that real pragmatic and practical approach so that all of those conversations have happened and then if you do get a positive one great move on if you get a negative one you can still move on but you've prepared for it as well so for me this is a really powerful episode and i hope you enjoyed the episode today angela and debbie thank you so much for your time as always i'm going to leave you now both to get on with your very busy lives supporting people i hope you enjoyed this episode remember don't forget if you need your podcast fix then we're back every monday proudly sponsored by hearts and essex fertility center one of the top performers fertility clinics in the UK and has some of the best success rates in the east of England. If you want to find out more about My Surrogacy Journey then please head over to our website which is mysurrogacyjourney.com or you can find us on Instagram at official My Surrogacy Journey. If you like this episode then please subscribe to the series and we will be back for another episode in the coming weeks. Thank you for listening. You've had me all on my own today, which I actually really enjoy. I have been your My Surrogacy Journey podcast host. Goodbye.